Welcome to The Chapel Online. At The Chapel, we're about helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus on the campus, in the city, and around the world. Well, welcome to The Chapel, whether you are joining us here at our Segan location or at our LSU location or on our online stream, we're actually all going to be together today. So LSU, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a while since I've been with you guys, but for everyone in all those venues, if we've not met, my name is Steve Elworth. I'm the Chapel Segan site pastor and excited to be able to do uh, this service all together as a church family. Uh, but not because of the circumstances. Many of you have been praying for our lead pastor, Kevin, who's normally preaching over at LSU. Um, But after a sudden and short stay in the hospital, uh, his mother has actually passed away uh, this last week. And his 91-year-old father is also in the hospital with a a broken foot. Uh, So he's not able to be with us today As, as a church We're committed to live on-site teaching, uh, and we're going to continue to be about that no matter where the chapel goes, but we're also grateful for technology to be able to be all together. So LSU location, let me just say, he so wishes that he could be with you. We got a chance to work on this message together, and he has been so excited to share the things that we're going to be talking about uh, with you. So I want to pray for our pastor and his family, um, but I also want to bring everyone in the loop on something that's happening tonight before we start uh, Before we start praying. Our Refuge College ministry, and I would imagine there were some woots over at LSU because um, that normally happens, but our Refuge College ministry has been growing like crazy. Last Sunday, they had their biggest service that we've ever seen in our college ministry. And tonight, we're actually going to be holding our refuge service at the, at the LSU Union Theater. We try to get people, everybody together from both of our college services at least once a semester and celebrate, but they have outgrown uh, one service at the LSU location. So for all of us together as a church family, I want to pray for them tonight. We are praying that hundreds of people that don't know Jesus would find their way there. There are lots of invites going on, and our college pastor, Andrew Riley, is going to be preaching on the resurrection. So Uh, Wherever you are with us today, would you pray with me as we pray for our pastor and our leader and as we pray for what is happening tonight. So Father, we are so grateful for Jesus. We thank you that you are our hope and that no matter what happens in our life and circumstances, you are our solid rock. So we pray for our pastor and leader, Kevin, and his family that you would be with them in the grief and in the planning of all that needs to come. And as you would go before them and use their hope and faith to spread the hope of Jesus to all that they encounter, especially those with their family. We pray for a speedy recovery for his father and that you would move the McKee family forward in their love and hope of you. And Father, we pray for refuge tonight, 
God, as Andrew preaches on the resurrection, would you bring so many people to the Union Theater? Maybe people that aren't even planning to come tonight. And as everybody gathers there together in the name of Jesus, would you go ahead of them? And would there be life transformation? And God, as we get to be together as a family across our locations, and would you speak through your word? Because it is not about what we have to do or say on this platform that is going to change lives. God, we want to hear from your word. So if there's anything that I've planned to say that's not of you, take it out of my mind. And if there's anything you want to say that I've not thought of, would you come and speak so that we can hear from you and be changed in Jesus name. Amen. Well, if you've been with us, we have been going through a four-part series celebrating all that God has done over the last three years as the chapel started in 2020, moving into our 10-year vision that we call Go 2030 to maximize our growth capacity in order to maximize our sending capacity. Our first three years that we've called Grow to Go has come to a conclusion and we've been celebrating all of the things that God has done and that we've seen happen as a church as we prepare to head into the mission that God has given us. And again, I wanna say to LSU, Kevin so wishes he could be here because if there's anything that we've been working harder on and praying forward and trying to figure out how to get our arms around, it's what we're gonna be talking about today. It's called the Leadership Pipeline. And it's an opportunity for those at the chapel to step into the gifts that God has given us. We don't have a lot of opportunity at the chapel, especially on Sunday mornings, to talk about our overarching strategy as a church and the things that we are pushing forward and trying to help you to take next steps. But we want to, so we want to do that, take an opportunity to do that today. But I want to ground us in the word of God in where we're going when it comes to that. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter four. But before we get there, I want to set the stage and, and some context. And it's going to be really hard not to do the entire sermon on Ephesians 1 through 3 as I set the context, because I've been spending so much time in this book and God continues to blow my mind with how amazing his grace is as Paul lays it out there. But I want to bring us up to speed a little bit on what Paul is writing for us, because Ephesians 4.1 starts, therefore, and that means that everything that he has written ahead of time is the motivating factor for everything that he's about to say. Now, like most of Paul's letters, Ephesians is split up into two sections. The first three chapters is all about what God has done. The second two, three chapters are about what we should do in response. And it's so incredibly important that Paul writes his letters that way because it's one more guardrail for us to recognize that following Jesus has never been about what we can accomplish and about what we can earn. It's always been about what God has done through the death and resurrection of his son that gives us the motivating factor not to live a have to life, but to live a thank you life. So in Ephesians chapter one, as Paul sets up where he's going, he writes this incredible description and also a very long sentence about the beautiful grace and mercy and love of God, that everything that God has done is out of his love, not because we deserved a thing. 
that every spiritual blessing is available because of what Jesus has done. And there's this beautiful interplay of the father loving and choosing and the son redeeming through his death and resurrection, the spirit sealing us as a guarantee that no matter what happens in our life, that we are secure in the love of God. In chapter two, Paul lays out the incredible and beautiful nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we were dead in our trespasses and in our sin. And dead people, physically or spiritually, don't make themselves not dead. And we get those two beautiful words that Paul uses so often, but God. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. And he outlines for us what that means, that we actually get to have communion, fellowship with God, that we can know him, but also fellowship with one another, that every single dividing wall of hostility that is set up between people that know and love Jesus has been obliterated. If there is anything between those that follow Jesus, there are walls that we have built back up. Because in the death and resurrection of Jesus, every dividing wall of hostility has been destroyed. In chapter three, Paul goes forward and he tells us that there were some things in the Old Testament that weren't clear, specifically the scope of the redemption of God that it wasn't just going to be for the Jewish people. It wasn't just gonna be for one type of people, but that the gospel was made available to everyone in this world, every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation. What was unclear before Jesus has been made clear in Jesus. That The invitation of the gospel message has been made available to the entire world. And then Paul ends with this incredible moment of prayer and praise where he overflows in glory and grandeur and just says, this is unbelievable. Everything that God has done has been out of his love for us. He has done immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. Now, based on all of that buildup, all of those amazing things that Paul had outlined for us, what would you assume would be his therefore? What would be the thing that follows that? I think if I were writing Ephesians and it's a really good thing that I wasn't, I would take the opportunity to say, based on everything that I've just told you, go change the world. Something along the lines of some clarion call to go sell everything you have and be a missionary or go, go bring the gospel to every single person that you know. It just seems like with everything that Paul has written for us, there should be this huge, emphatic, climactic, triumphant moment. But the reality is there is. It's just not what I would have thought. What Paul says is based on everything that we've just said, do you want to know what's important? Unity. Unity. This is how he says it. Ephesians 4 verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, 
urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Every verse in Ephesians 1, chapter one through three are like a roller coaster, slowly going to the top of the first drop. And every verse, a click, 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 as it builds and it builds and it builds and it builds. And Paul praises the Lord for everything that he's done. And he says, as we get ready for this drop and the journey really starts and we lean in, you want to know what's really important? Verse three, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Now notice he doesn't say, based on all of this, go create unity. Jesus has already accomplished unity for the church. He's already obliterated every wall of hostility through his death and resurrection. He doesn't say, go create it. He says, you need to maintain it. Maintain fights, do everything you can, spare no efforts to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Every wall of hostility that exists between people has been destroyed by the gospel of Jesus. But for some reason, we keep trying to build them. We fight with each other over politics, over denominations, over doctrines that are not essential, over lifestyle. Paul says, fight for unity. Fight to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. What was purchased for us at the cross is so beautiful and so valuable and worth fighting for. I'm going to read again, starting in verse four, of how beautiful this description is. There is one body, one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Church, this is what exists for us. This is what Jesus has purchased. But here's the question. How are we to fight for it? How are we to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace? Paul tells us that the way we fight for it is we leverage our diversity. Verse seven, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Paul says that through the death of Jesus, both unity and diversity were purchased. Within our unity, Jesus has made everyone different. And he has made the hinge of unity in the church to be the diversity of people coming in and using their diverse 
gifts. Now, I'm not using diversity in just one sense, in just a sense of race or ethnicity or skin color or socioeconomic status or, or country of origin. I'm using diversity as all of the above and more, that God's grace has a portion to everyone what he intends them to bring to the unity. The grace that he talks about in verse seven there is not the way we typically think about grace. It's not the salvation by grace through faith. He's talking about the grace here as the gifts given to us, the skills, the way that we lean in, the way that we've been designed to serve. That is the hinge of our unity. Now, maybe when I said the word diversity, some of you recoiled a little bit because diversity is a really hot topic in our world right now. And it's often discussed in our culture as a way to right all of the wrongs that have been done. The logic goes that if everything is broken, if everything's chaotic, then let's just force diversity onto whatever system or whatever group of people. And then that in turn will create Unity. The world longs for unity. The world doesn't want there to be chaos. The world doesn't want there to be all of this craziness that's out there. But the only way, apart from Jesus, we can think about getting to unity is to force it. And it's different with Jesus. What Ephesians declares to us is the only way you can have unity from diversity is if the dividing walls of hostility have been destroyed. Church, that's not a social issue. That's a sinful issue. All of the disunity, all of the division, every ism and all injustice in this world come from sin. And defeating sin is the only way to move towards unity. And that's exactly what Jesus accomplished on the cross. This is Paul's big crescendo moment as the roller coaster starts going down the first drop. And if you're taking notes, our first point on the outline is this. Church unity is maintained through a diversity of spirit-empowered people. This is how we say it at the chapel. It's one of our five values that we have tried to put in front of you as many times as we can. We call it empowered people. We succeed when everyone does their part. This is not a strategy to fill volunteer spots. This is God's design for a healthy church moving towards maturity. This is not a way just for us to try to make sure all of our design structures have the right amount of people in them. This is a way for a church to come together and say, we actually believe that the word of God says that Jesus, by his grace, has given us, apportioned to us different ways of serving, different ways of being, different ways that God is powerful through us. Maybe you've never been made to feel that way before. Maybe your church experience has been 
someone that you felt like a, a commodity or just someone to fill spots. But if we go to what Paul is talking about, what he's saying is the way the church functions, the way a healthy church moves towards maturity and mission is that we recognize how God is powerful through us and we step in. Elsewhere, he uses the imagery of a body, that every part of the church has different functions, but they all need to be there. You break a finger, you feel like your life is over. At least that's men. I don't know. We have that pain threshold. That's not, that's not great. But when something isn't working, everything else feels it. So this is what this means for us at the chapel. If God has led you to this church to be a part of this community, we need you. Not to fill a spot, but to be the person that God has created you to be, using the gifts that God has given you to build up the church. But Paul continues in Ephesians 4 to say, this doesn't just naturally happen. His expectation is not, hey, come and figure out what your gift is and then just go show up at a church and just naturally start serving. He, doesn't, he says this doesn't happen automatically. He moves on and said that, he is, that God has given specific grace to different people who lead churches to help make this happen. In chapter 4, verse 11, he says this, and, and he gave, Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, we don't have time today to go into the function of each of those gifts and, and what they mean, but what Paul is saying is with these four gifts, and I say four, not five, because in the original language, pastor-teacher is, is together kind of as one thing, not delineated like the others. So these four gifts are given specifically to help churches equip the saints for the work of ministry. People like me, that are standing up here on a platform, pastoring and, and teaching God's word, we are not the ones that are supposed to execute the ministry of the church. My role is to equip you through the God-given grace and gifts that he's given you to do the ministry. This is how theologian John Stott says it. The New Testament concept of a pastor is not a person who jealously guards all ministry in his own hands and successfully squash, squashes all lay initiatives, but one who helps and encourages all God's people to discover, develop, and exercise their gifts. His teaching and training are directed to this end, to enable the people of God to be a servant people, ministering actively but humbly according to their gifts in a world of alienation and pain. Thus, Instead of monopolizing all ministry for himself, he actually multiplies ministries. This is how a healthy church is supposed to operate. Church ministry and kingdom impact are not accomplished by church staffs, but through church people. So our second point is this, church impact is accomplished through equipped and empowered people. And that is why we've been working so hard on a leadership pipeline. 
a lot of people have the thought that if we just kind of do church and do ministry, then spiritual growth will just happen. But when we look at the word of God all throughout, we see very intentional strategies. Jesus was a rabbi and he employed the strategy of a rabbi. He would invite apprentices, disciples to follow after him so that he could train them up to do ministry the way that he did. In the book of Exodus, after the Moses led the people out of the promised land, he had a point in his ministry where all of his days were filled up by people coming to him with their problems. And his father-in-law says, that's not good. You've got lots of people who are with you that could help. You need to raise up leaders so that they can take on some of this ministry. When the church in the book of Acts was growing and the Greek widows were being neglected in the daily distribution, the apostles got together and said, we need to raise up leaders. We need to raise up other people that are specifically gifted so that they could lean into this. And this idea of raising up leaders and multiplying ministry was Paul's whole strategy. We see him tell that to his disciple Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says, And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. There are four generations in that, that one verse that Paul went to Timothy, who went to faithful people who could teach others. This has always been the ministry of the church. So I want to take some time and explain the strategy that we have been using as a church to continue to move this mission forward. These next 10 minutes are probably not going to feel like a sermon, but I think it's important for us to be able to see, at least from a 30,000 foot view, the lens that we on staff have been using to try to pray forward and equip you as we move forward in our mission. There's not a lot of places for us to be able to talk about some of these things holistically. I'm also going to talk quickly and not go into a lot of detail because over the next many years, these are the things that we're going to keep dripping in. But I want you to be able to see holistically the things that we're talking about. So buckle up and you can take some notes or take some pictures of the screens if you want. But this next picture represents our, our vision frame. This is something that in 2018, as our elders got together and prayed about what is next for us, they recognized that we need to have laser-focused clarity as we move forward into what God is doing in the church. The picture inside of the frame, as you will, is our vision. You see our 10-year vision there, that we're going to maximize our growth capacity so that we can maximize our sending capacity. We call that our beyond-the-horizon vision. It's what we're constantly moving toward. It's what's pulling us forward. There's a lot more detail that shows up on these that we have in our office because we have different goals every 90 days, every year, every three years as we're moving towards that vision. But that picture in the middle is the thing that's constantly pulling us. The four edges represent four parts of the way we think about ministry that contain the vision and make sure that we stay on track. There are our mission, our values, our pathway, and our measures. I want to go through each one, again, not in a lot of detail, but so that we can see how they're fitting together. The first is our mission. If you've been around the chapel, you've heard this. We help people meet 
know and follow Jesus on the campus of LSU in the city of Baton Rouge and around the world. If our vision is what pulls us, the mission is what constantly pushes us. It's something that we're never going to quite actualize, but it has to be in place because if we reach the end of our 10 year vision and Jesus isn't the center if we've not helped people meet, know, and follow Jesus, if we're not helping people grow in their faith and sending people out with the gospel, no matter what metrics we hit on the vision, we will have failed. The mission has to stay central. On the other side of the frame, we have our values. We've been talking about many of these throughout this series. Our values represent those things that we have to hold on to, that we have to fight for if we're going to have any chance of moving in the direction that God has for us. The first is gospel of grace. We believe that Jesus accepts us just as we are, but loves us too much to leave us there. That it's never been about what we can earn. It's always been about what he has done. Biblical truth. We trust God's word to be sufficient and relevant to direct everything we do. Even 2,000 years later, this is our source. This is what we will always be preaching from. Authentic relationships. We commit to being real with God, ourselves, and others. We talked about that a lot a couple of weeks ago when we talked about community. Empowered people. We succeed when everyone does their part. That's what we're talking about here today. And radical generosity. We serve a generous God and our goal is to be more like him. That's what we talked about last week. These are the things that we have to hold on to as we move forward into this mission. The bottom of the frame is what we call our, our pathway, our discipleship pathway. Really, it represents our strategy. This is how we've designed to ask all of you to participate daily or, or weekly in the life of the chapel. This is as, as kind of trimmed down as we can to say, if everybody who wants to follow Jesus is always doing each of these four things in some way, we will grow in our relationship with Jesus. The first is that we gather together and worship. That's what we're doing here today. We worship together. We hear God's word taught together. We grow in groups. We say life change happens best in circles, not in rows like this. We need people in our lives helping us walk with Jesus, holding us accountable. We serve the church and the city. We use the gifts that God has given us to bring Jesus inside these walls and outside these walls. And we go by living sent, recognizing that all of us have been placed around people that the pastors and staff of this church may never meet. And he's placed you there so that you can lean in and love them the way Jesus has loved you. The mission is what pushes us towards our vision. The values are what we hold on to. The pathway is the strategy that we use. But the, the fourth part, the top part, is what we call our measures. We talk about these a little bit less. We probably should talk about them more. But as we prayed and discerned what God had for us as a church, we said that these six measures, they're written in three couplets, they represent the fully, fully formed disciple of Jesus. Somebody that is walking the pathway and constantly growing in their relationship with Jesus is going to look like this person. They're a self-feeder. 
There's someone that doesn't just rely on teaching from other people for their growth in Jesus, but they can approach the word of God and the throne of God on their own. And they are in, they're in relational accountability. They're known. They've invited people into their lives. They don't have secret sins that they're trying to deal with on their own, but they're walking with Jesus in community. This person is a grateful worshiper. Someone that sees all of life and all that they have as being about God and living their lives as unto him rather than themselves. This person is radically generous. They believe and are growing in the idea that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And that all that we have been given has been given by God on loan to us to be managed according to his purposes. This person is a disciple maker. There's someone that sees that God has sent them into, the, into a world in need intentionally, on purpose, with a purpose to be used by God in the lives of those around them. And they're globally minded. Someone who recognizes that God loves the whole world and that through the message of Jesus, some from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation are gonna be worshiping around the throne and we're constantly using our lives to figure out how are we supposed to be a part of that? That's a lot. And we could spend a long time talking about each of those. But my goal today was to try to show what are the things that we're trying to put in front of us as a church to help you grow in your gifts and to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And I also wanted you to see the foundational pieces that we've been working on during this three years of Grow to Go because a big piece of it has been what we've called our leadership pipeline. Now, by leadership pipeline, we mean an intentional strategy to help raise up people to help accomplish the ministry that God's given to this church, but also a way to help all of us grow in our relationship with Jesus. So this is what the leadership pipeline looks like. Think of it like, like a trellis in a garden. That when you have a vine that's growing or a bunch of tomatoes, you don't just say, go forth and conquer. Right? You put up a trellis and you give it some structure so that it can grow in a healthy way. That's what the leadership pipeline is like. It's not about spiritual hierarchy. It's about helping all of us use the gifts and the grace that God has given us to build up the church and make disciples. So it goes from the bottom up. On the ground level there, we call leading ourselves. This is what we're all supposed to always be doing. We walk the pathway, we're in community, we're growing as a disciple of Jesus. And there's going to be somewhere around along the way as you're a part of, the, of a church that some people are going to be like, man, I want, I want more. I feel like God wants to use me. I feel like I have gifts that are undeveloped. Would you help me grow in those? And so the, the, the leadership pipeline is designed to help you take those next steps. But for some... You may not know or want more training and responsibility, but somebody who is leading might see you and see that God is working powerfully through you and tap you on the shoulder and say, I think God wants to use you. 
The next step up is leading others, and then leading leaders, and then leading areas, and then leading ministries, or the church. That one's taken by Kevin and and the elders. Uh, But the rest of it is for all of us to lean in as we grow in ministry. And this is going to look differently for all of us. So I want to give you an opportunity to hear from a guy named Taylor Bourgeois, who's a part of our college ministry. So listen to to his story as it comes to this. My name is Taylor Bourgeois, and this is my story. When I first came onto campus in 2018, I wasn't sure what I was going to do with my life. I had started in journalism, which I would eventually drop, and uh, really had no idea that I would ever go into ministry. But it was through the leadership pipeline at the chapel that from freshman year to stepping on the refuge leadership team my sophomore year, to feeling the call to ministry and stepping on refuge staff my senior year, and to continuing to grow from a part-time role to a full-time role, that I've really been able to see the growth as a follower of Jesus and just a growth like as a minister. But for my first semester, you know, I was kind of one foot in, one foot out. Um, I just struggled to really invest myself, even though I had these people that wanted me to come to refuge. And it wasn't until the second semester of my freshman year that I really got involved in refuge. And so stepping onto leadership my sophomore year, uh, it was a mixture of some things I was ready for and some things that I really needed to grow in. And as I was learning things and kind of figuring out what it was like to uh, share the gospel with someone, it was all still relatively new to me. Uh, But going into spring 2020, when I started to still feel like I had more of that growth, um, but also like really struggle with understanding what it meant to lead was when the entire world shut down. I started to really hear God and kind of this call for ministry. I had this, this new passion of where I'm going to give refuge leadership everything I have because this will be my opportunity to see that if ministry is what the Lord has for me. And what that semester and what that really that next school year was, was some of the most unbelievable, fulfilling moments of my life as I grew so much in not only my ability to lead, my ability to facilitate a discussion in a community group, my ability to disciple a younger believer, but I just grew in my faith. I knew Jesus so much more. Going into my senior year, I was approached about joining the Refuges Residency Program. Being part of the residency program seemed like something that was like for kind of people that were like older than me or like farther along in their walk. But I'd had this tremendous growth in my ability to lead, but really in like my faith that this is kind of like the next step I have. Immediately, I was challenged in a thousand ways uh, that I hadn't been challenged before. Because of what I learned in the residency program my first two years in developing leaders, empowering leaders, uh, and really like casting vision for uh, ministry as a whole, I started a larger role where I was responsible for leadership development within Refuge. And so what I got to take is the experience of learning how to help create these events and how to help talk to leaders and help coach them on what to do and how to lead a community group, how to disciple. And I got to share that with this group of like older leaders. As I come to the end of my time in the residency program, having this call to ministry, the next step I have is to go to Dallas Theological Seminary and to move to Dallas, start taking classes there, so DTS. But to look at what God has done in my life to the moment I'm at right now is unbelievable. And how he has used the chapel and how he's used the refuge to mold me into the person he had set out for me. I have been blessed to have a chapel staff that supports me, uh, a refuge residency staff that supports me. I've seen the love of Christ so much through so many different people because of this opportunity. I'm just so excited for what he has next. 
you know, seminary was not necessarily my first choice, but God has made it so clear that this is what he has next for me that I can't help but just be grateful and just be like, Lord, like, let, like let's go. Like, I'm ready for this. My name is Taylor, and that is his story. Well, thank you, Taylor. I'm assuming you're at LSU, so great job, buddy. That was awesome. Like Taylor, there's going to be a lot of people, prayerfully hundreds of people, that through their leadership development and growth at the chapel, God's going to tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, ministry is something that I have for you for the rest of your life. And for some, there's going to be a tap on the shoulder that says, hey, you're one of those people that are supposed to go to the hardest to reach places in the world. And we're praying for a hundred people to go to unreached people groups all across the world. We're going to be talking about that more next week. But this isn't just for people that want to take a step into full-time ministry, but it provides a next step for each of us as well. And maybe you've even been a part of the leadership pipeline without even realizing it because we hadn't called it the leadership pipeline yet. Maybe you were sitting in a community group and it just became clear to your community group leader that you were passionate about helping people understand the Bible and you were asking really good questions. And they said, hey, why don't you help me lead a few of these discussions? Why don't you help me prepare for some of this content? And then you can lead a couple weeks. And the conversations kept happening and, and they said, I think it would be a really good idea for you to be a community group leader. Let's have a track to help you go and do that so that we can use your gifts to build up this group and also to multiply our community groups so that we can reach more and more people around the city. That's what we're talking about. You heard Taylor talk about it in the video that refuge is growing. And so instead of saying, hey, let's just get a bunch more refuge staff. Why don't we take an experienced leader like Taylor to go tap on the shoulders of several senior leaders and say, hey, instead of leading a group this semester, why don't you help lead some of our leaders so that you can pass on the things that you have done? We're seeing this happen all across our church in, in refuge and in worship in our group life in chapel women and international ministry and chapel youth and chapel kids. This is what we want to see happen because the reality is God has designed the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry. This is how this has always worked. And it's exactly what Paul ends his section in Ephesians 4 with. Why focus on all of this? Why have a strategy? Why try to give a trellis for people to be able to grow with some structure? Why have targets that we're looking at? Why have a vision that God has given us? Why do all of these things? Well, it's because as we lean in together with the gifts that God has given us, this is what happens. It's for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ, so that we will no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul is saying in our third point there, church maturity is attained 
as everyone does their part. This is not just important so that we can maintain unity. This is not just important so that we can leverage our diversity. It's important because this is how healthy churches grow. This is how churches move towards maturity. I wish I had more time to unpack those verses that I just read because there's so much there and they are so beautiful. But what Paul is doing is emphatically letting us know what it looks like to have a healthy church on mission together and moving towards maturity. So where I want to end with all of us together as one church, the chapel, is to ask, what's your next step? The leadership pipeline is not something that we are opening up applications for, like an elite school of spirituality or something like that. That's not how this is going to function. The leadership pipeline is going to run parallel to everything that we're doing in all of our ministries. So your first step is not to raise your hand and say, pipeline, I'm in. Your next step is to lean more deeply in engagement at the chapel. And that really depends on whatever step of the pathway you need to grow in. Maybe you come to church sporadically. Maybe your next step is to gather with us regularly, to come weekly, to be a part of all that God is doing here. Maybe you're gathering regularly, but you're not in a group. Maybe your next step is to find a place to plug in and grow together with other people around you. Maybe you're gathering and you're growing, but you haven't found a place to serve and to use your gifts yet. Maybe you've heard us inviting you to serve and you're like, I don't know if my gifts line up with that. We want to help you be you where God is powerful so that the church is built up. So come and talk to us. We would love to help you grow in your gifts. But maybe you're doing all of those things and you want more. You want more training. You want more equipping. You want to grow in your gifts. Well, come and talk to one of us on staff or your community group leader or the person who leads your team when you're serving on Sunday morning and let them know because we are constantly improving and tweaking and adding supplemental trainings so that we can help us all grow in our gifts so that the saints can be equipped for the work of ministry. And chapel, I know and believe that we have no shot at going after this beyond the horizon 10-year vision if we just say there's now more things for the staff to do. The way God wants to be powerful through this church is through the people that he has sent to this church. And our prayer and invitation is that you would lean in and to allow God to be powerful through you in the ways that he's created. Let me pray for us. Father, we're so grateful for Jesus. We're so grateful that you did not have this all be just up to us, figuring out how to do good ministry and serve well and do all of these things. God, this has always been about you. Thank you for showing us how you've designed this community, this church to function together. Thank you for allowing us to see how we can lean in. And God, I pray for the chapel, all of us joining us in this room, all of us at LSU, all of us joining online. Would you give us grace to know how you want to lean in and how you want us to use the gifts that you've given us 
so that we can see so many more people in this city, on that campus, and around the world meet, know, and follow Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. To find out more about the chapel, visit thechapelbr.com.